Luke 3, 1 through 14. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea in the region of uh, Trichonitis, Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. In all flesh you'll see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. The tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. It's interesting, before we really get into what we want to talk about this morning, it's interesting that in the first uh, two verses, if I counted correctly, there are six different ways in which the time frame is set for what's happened, what's, what's happening in this time. Fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius and all the other things that happened, uh, all the other people who are in places of power in the various regions are, are named so that we'll have a, an, an idea of when this was, which is approximately 27, 28, 29 A.D., it's also interesting that the timing is, the, the dating rather, I should say, is to when John started his ministry, not to Jesus, but when John began. So what God is actually doing during John's time is he is revealing his will after 400 years of silence. His will will begin to be revealed then. So we have <clears throat> we have people coming to hear John preaching in the wilderness on the other side of the Jordan in what's commonly called Perea, so I understand. And they're coming to hear one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. And John says, these people, it says in verse 7, multitudes that came out to be baptized by him. And he says, brood of vipers. Why would you use such language? Wouldn't you want them to come and let's let everybody be baptized? 
But he says brood of vipers. Matthew 3, verse 7. I'll read it. His Matthew's version of the same things. Matthew 3, 7 says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So it seems like he's addressing particularly the brood of vipers as being those religious leaders who were there. But Luke doesn't put it that way. But again, wouldn't you want everybody to come and be baptized? Well, there's a problem. He, we would think he would be excited. Everybody wants, all of us would want somebody to be baptized. But there's no word here of their repentance. There is no word of their repentance and no word of their bearing fruit. And so that's what we want to talk about. Bear, bear fruit worthy of repentance. The words taken from Luke. Now think of bearing fruit in, in of a, a fruit. I, I think of a cluster of grapes or two right there that you see. But I want us to talk about, first of all, repentance and that their baptism would not have been the baptism required without repentance. Baptism without repentance is not the baptism that's necessary. And also with repentance, there is an after and different aspect to repentance. Repentance is an afterthought, different from the former thought, if that makes any sense to you. So what it is, as you all know, is a change of mind, which brings about a change of conduct. You change your mind from the way you live, and then you act differently than the way you lived. One turns from transgression and leads a holy life. Because sins are an offense to, against God, and he hates sin. And we also know that Jesus went to the cross to take care of the things that we did for our sins. This drove him to the cross, led him to the cross, whatever, however you want to phrase it. And that's why God hates sins, because it cost us his son, plus it separates us from him. I think this can be illustrated with scripture, and sometimes scripture is the best uh, commentary on itself. In Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, if you would turn, I don't have it on the screen. Isaiah 1. Isaiah 1, verses 16 through 18. And it says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before, your, before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. It's interesting, uh, I think, way to define what repentance is, is uh, making yourselves clean, 
but cease to do evil. We determine that the way we've lived is not right. And so we stop doing that and learn to do good. Not always easy, but there's a mindset that you change from one thing and do what's right. Seek justice, he says in, Luke, uh, in Isaiah 1. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. So you stop doing what you were doing and you start doing those things that are pleasing to the Lord. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow, just some examples. And what's the result then? Result then would be your sins shall be as white as snow. They shall, as he says in verse 18, they will be uh, like wool. Sins are gone. Repentance is part of that. Repentance is part of it. Again, Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. Verses 27 through 31. <clears throat> Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he has committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is not my way, is it not my ways which are fair, and your ways which are not fair? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Verse 32 says, For I have no pleasure in the death of one, of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Israel's problem is they have this law, and yet they wanted to serve idols. Isaiah blessed them pretty good for that. Ezekiel is told to tell the people that they need to change. But God says they're not going to listen. But you tell them anyway. You do what I tell you to do. And you will, you will save your soul. And theirs will be required of them. So here's Ezekiel. And he's telling people who are not going to listen. And I'm sure he's frustrated. He's, he's telling them and they're not going to listen. But he's got to tell them. He cannot keep it in. So what did he tell them? What is it that he said? Again, in these verses, he's defined in practical terms what repentance is. Turn from wickedness. That mindset. Not do that anymore. Do what is lawful and right. You save yourself alive. He considers and turns from all the transgression. He sees what's happening. Sees all these things. Considers the, the ramifications of his lifestyle and turns from all of those transgressions. And he shall surely live. 
Repent and turn from all your transgressions. He repeats it again. So that your iniquity will not be your ruin. And a new heart, and you'll have a new heart and a new spirit. Again, so two Old Testament examples of what repentance is, in effect. Turning from wickedness, doing what is lawful and right change of mind that brings about a change of action. He says in the third point up there, it saves the soul right out of Ezekiel. The fifth point, you shall surely live right out from Ezekiel from all these things so that sin won't ruin you. So that sin, the punishment of it, the consequences of sin will be taken away. And that punishment of an eternity in hell will not be where we will be. And so when we decide that I just want to go do this and I just get weak and I sin, he says, turn from that wickedness. Get out of those in our class. Get out of those places that are that kind of temptation to you and do what's right. Flee from evil. Let's look then at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Chapter 7 verses 10 and 11. We're going to do the same, same thing the same way. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 10 and 11. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. When you go to the, the pines and you ask them, we come across a scripture that has repentance in it, ask them what repentance is, and they'll say it's uh, feeling sorry, being sorry for what you've done. Scripturally, that's not what repentance is, but it, it is godly sorrow that changes the mind, that changes the way we do things, that changes the way we live. So godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted. So he also continues, you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced, what earnestness, what haste. I've got to do this now. It's not time to wait. I've got to make sure I'm right with God. I've got to do it now. There's a, there's a speedy aspect of it. We've got to do it. What fear, what terror godly sorrow produces. What vehement desire, what zeal. But look at this not to be regretted. I, and I think of, and you hear this, Sometimes, 
about people talking about what they used to do. The good old days. The good old days. The things they used to do and all the sins they used to do. And, it's, and they look back fondly sometimes at those things. That's not repentance. If I was still wishing I was doing those things, that's not repentance. You, you change the mind, change the activity in which you do live every day. And you don't regret the change. You're not sorry that you're not sinning anymore. Acts 20, verse 26. Acts 20, verse 26, please. Acts 26, 20, what did I say? Acts 26, 20, excuse me. But I'm taking up, well, let's just read 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Befitting, do works befitting repentance that are consistent with repentance, that are suitable for repentance or in keeping with repentance. This will be expanded upon later in the next hour by Mark. But we are changing our lives, changing our thought process, and changing the way we do things so that it is, and I prefer the, the phrase, the up there consistent with those who repent. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, let him who steal, stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. A thief quits being a thief and works so that he can give to those who have need. That's what he says. The change of mind, change of activity, and doing what's right. He no longer steals, but you supply a need for somebody who has a need. That you're helpful to them in that way. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 and 18. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. So, some things to think about. The, often the rich are haughty. How's that working out for them? In God's eyes. Well, commands those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Not to think of themselves too highly. But, and don't trust in riches, but trust in the living God. Who gives us all things richly to enjoy. And do good. And be rich in good works. Willing to give. Willing to share. 
ready to give, willing to share. He says, command. Not a, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. That we're not to trust in riches, but we're to do good, be rich in good works, be ready to give, willing to share, and trust in the living God. Turn with me to Luke chapter, uh, well, let's look, go back to Luke 3. Luke 3. Our text for the day. Luke 3 verses 10 through 14 is we'll concentrate on those things and just look at them again. Luke 3, 10 through 14. So the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to them, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. So he's apparently talked about repentance, too, and complained, fussed, brood of vipers. And so the people said, Well, what do we do? If you got two tunics or if you have food, you give to those who have the need, to those who have none. The tax collectors, well, what do we do? Collect no more than what's appointed to you. The soldiers, they say, what do we do? Don't intimidate or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. We spent some time recently, some Sundays, talking about Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, where it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And we've gone over those, and I'm not going to go over all over all those again. But we know what the deal is on them. That's bearing fruits of the Spirit befitting repentance. Against such there is no law. I always like that phrase there. You do this stuff. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9, it says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. In concluding, here we have descendants of Abraham, and they're in trouble. There, there's, a, there's a wrath coming. Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? It's coming. A day of reckoning was coming. coming. And so what they should do is repent and be baptized and produce fruit. And in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, it says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. The times of ignorance God overlooked, does, what does that mean? Does it mean that the sins that people did are not really sins? No, no, I don't think that's what it means. The times of ignorance about, about Jesus 
in those time, in those previous times, the, the people who worshipped idols, he just allowed them to happen, and there really was no effort to teach them about God. There, there wasn't much effort. There were a few proselytes who came over uh, to be a, to be a Jew and, and uh, live under the law of Moses, but that was a few really. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. So here's. This is taken in Acts 17, verse 30, when Paul is in the city of Athens, which was a hotbed of idolatry, and he's teaching Gentiles. He said, now you've got to repent. We don't, can't do things just like you always did because that's what you want to do. You repent. And so that's where we have to be. We have to have changed our lives, repented, and been washed in baptism. If you've not done that, you are still under the, th the, the, the yoke of sin. And it's time to repent and change that. If you need to respond to the gospel in some way, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?